0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another chilly day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ian Bennett, head teacher of Downs Hall Primary School. Ian, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean? mean to you?
1: To me, a, a leader is uh, somebody, it's it's a paradigm, really, rather than a position. It's a way of thinking about, um, about uh, concepts and things that come in life, and it's an attitude to things. It's about sharing your vision, about being positive about things in the future. So I think it's very much about driving things forward.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Well, I think you need a variety of styles in modern leadership. I think it depends. Rather than having one style, I think you need to have a a variety of styles that perhaps deal with different approaches and have that flexibility. Because most large companies now, and uh, certainly in schools, the demands and the change Uh, are very complex and constantly uh, new challenges are facing. So I think depending on what you're dealing with and how you're approaching things, you need to have a different approach and flexibility. So long as people, I think, see that there's a fairness, that there's a conviction to what you're doing, and that there is a clarity of vision I think they will understand that you'll need to approach and your style will need to perhaps be flexible.
0: Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you were first starting out your working life. Were there any particular individuals who shaped the way that you lead today?
1: Well, that's a, a very good question. I'm sure there were a number. Um, I I would say that for me, it was the people who um, really wanted to make a difference. So obviously, as a a young child, I was inspired by, I was growing up when I was in the 90s, perhaps a bit older, not as a young child, but sort of saw great people like Nelson Mandela, great world leaders. Um, Even whether you agreed with her politics or not, I grew up in uh, Margaret Thatcher's time. And of course, people have... Uh, different views about her policies, but I, I was inspired by leaders who could um, really uh, eloquently share their vision, and that was what their leadership was about. For me, that kind of shining a light on where there's darkness, where there's somebody is able to come forward and really articulate logically and clearly what their values and vision are.
0: So, of course, communication is key to leadership.
1: Absolutely. Um, to take people with you is the most important thing. And I think that's quite a challenge uh, today when there's, we find in a lot of companies, and I think it's one thing that's never taken off in schools, and I think it's a big advantage, is when leaders have not perhaps come through the particular workplace. If I give you an example of what I mean, in um, when I'm communicating with my teachers and staff and team, they know that I've been in a classroom, I've worked in the similar positions, been there and done that. I think when it's harder to communicate uh, and share your vision is perhaps when you haven't been through those similar processes, or you're not really clear on what you are trying to change and achieve, but it's just you're a manager per se. So, yes, I think communication is absolutely key. And I think people have to know that you know that what you're talking about, you've been through and believe in quite sincerely.
0: Now, of course, as the headmaster of a school, you don't only deal with one group of stakeholders, you deal with uh, really two or three, uh, the staff, the pupils, and the uh, and the parents. Um, now, are there different leadership strategies that you need to employ with each one of these groups?
1: Um, I think, yes, there, are, there, there obviously are. Or there are different approaches. I don't know that there are leadership strategies that are different. I would come back to... The, the point I was making earlier, I think the strategy about trying to take people with you and to be clear about what you're trying to achieve, but uh, and also to being open and people know that you're listening, that, that, those, that kind of strategy I think goes well with all of those stakeholders, but perhaps in different degrees to who you are working with. And I would say our stakeholders are even wider now. I think we're very much, schools have become hubs of the community, particularly at the moment when there are cutbacks in uh, local authority um, finances and resources. Uh, the school very much has to often be right at the center of the community, working with social workers, the police, um, health workers, uh, you know, the school can actually very often be right at the center. And so sometimes you are a leader with regards to taking things forward, but sometimes you very much have to be a listener mm-hmm. as well. Um, and the people need to know that you're prepared to do that.
0: What's your advice for the young people that you uh, look after uh, for looking after future career opportunities?
1: I think it's very important and this is why I think I love my role and what's wonderful about schools. Is I think it's very important that children get a sense of who they are and what their unique passions are and what drives them from an early age. Um, I'm not sure that we're there yet in our educational system of really seeing this as um, paramount um, and I think we need to keep Coming back to that because as we reach a century where we don't even know the jobs that children are going to be doing when they've left school now. I mean, look how fast technology is changing. The jobs that our children will be doing when they've left school, certainly our primary children by the time they're in their 20s, haven't probably even been invented yet or thought of yet. So the advice is to really know yourself to know what your passions are, to know perhaps we try and teach here very clearly what character strengths are are your strengths, but also those that you find more challenging and how to work on those. So I think my advice to them is to know themselves first and then think about where they want to go forward in their career. It's ever more important.
0: Now, of course, leadership comes in all different forms uh, and there are many different people to look to for examples of it. But I'm going to nail you down to just one. If I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? I know it's a tricky one.
1: It is a tricky one. Um, I suppose... I'm going to go for a strange one and I'm going to go for someone like the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is I think in this world that we live in now where there is so much tension and so much strife, we need people that can bring harmony. And also people who know what dialogue is. uh, You know, grew up in an age where very often it was people wouldn't talk to each other or they would start conversations with red lines and I think leadership is about coming to a table with a very positive vision really open to dialogue and also with that clear message of wanting to make the world a better place if people know that you as a leader your intentions are really to make the world a better place, then they will come with you and walk miles with you. Um, Whereas if you start on a negative slant of um, with all your baggage that you bring as a leader, you're not going to move forward in this day and age. So perhaps that's the example of the person who I would say most inspires me.
0: Well, of course, he is an excellent example of quiet and uh, quiet, but strong leadership. Uh, and it's a very interesting uh, pick to have. Do you feel that you could apply any of the lessons learned from the Dalai Lama in your everyday life?
1: Oh, um, many, absolutely. And I um, I think looking for that in a quiet so that a sense of consciousness and wisdom can come through when you're making decisions and dealing with people. Um, The the, the other thing that comes to mind is when I uh, talk to my team and teachers I um, often say to them that you need to bond with the pupils, appreciate where they are uh, before you sort of try and move them forward understand their place. Some of our pupils that come in it's uh, we, we, a school. Sometimes they're coming from very troubled backgrounds. Life is challenging. A lot, whichever area they come from, come into from homes now where they're very busy families. There's no time. Uh, no one's got time for them. So I think that ability to find quiet and strength and be with people and understand and empathise with them is absolutely something that's an essential quality that helps me day in, day out, work with the pupils and help them to find space and move forward.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together has come to its end. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Downs Hall Primary?
1: Well, uh, with with education, there is always constant change. Um so we at the moment that we've recently in, in education in this country, the new framework has asked schools to look at their curriculum and really look if it's meeting the needs of their pupils. Um, so we'll be looking at and reevaluating, making sure that that curriculum works really well for our pupils and also as I was saying earlier, our school is much more at the centre of the community more than it's ever been because of situations and resource um, cutbacks that there have been over the last few years. So we'll be looking at making sure we can meet the needs of our community. And that's what we're working on and reviewing over the next 12 months.
0: Well, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, discussing leadership with you today, and I very much hope uh, that we can discuss it again at some point in the near future. Ian, thank you. Thank you. That was Ian Bennett, head teacher of Downs Hall Primary School. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former. Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far?
3: Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, Are they in in the stands watching, or are they on the pitch, playing. And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she could reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from...
2: Uh, Four, uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power Of the big tech companies which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain, or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies certainly. And spe- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean,
3: uh, it's on the theme of bottom up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take. We, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So... You can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business. You can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The Contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them half of society wouldn't function
3: completely i I call it civil society which functions even when government isn't functioning it's what it's the glue that holds things together it's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other i've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein i was very fortunate to have met nelson mandela three times uh i met Bill clinton a number of times both of whom in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority Mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach, it's not someone out on a white charger, it's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh,
2: And I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them.
3: Yes, it is, and if people recognise that and they have a clear idea of themselves. They, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, are, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper, and I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. H- how to control your own feelings and emotion, and how to bring the best out in other people's, how how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm-hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward, from everyone around you, I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder
3: and Sheffield United every week after. No, week. I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It, lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City, then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I I could cry sometimes. We can can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0 five th- five <laughs> at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket
2: say in this situation?
3: I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field... They walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning, before the game started. Something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that complement you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as prime minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at
3: their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm-hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet, as I speak at the moment, people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, isn't worth their salt. If, but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief... That you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it, and if you can't do that under real cross examination rather than sitting on the sofa for a, mm-hmm. a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't don't do Without it. Without a
2: doubt. Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how uh, leaders of all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't and there? And try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think that one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people... But again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home
3: Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The The second is the satisfaction you get back, because you do from seeing things change for the better. You You can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they they... It's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center Mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> as a, because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the leadership council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles. To actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform. It will avoid people reinventing the wheel. It will take people a lot further than the the niche for good or ill. The niche that they're in at the moment,
2: um, David. The very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well, after we leave the European on the 31st of January? And
3: where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post. Who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to. Enact can only be brought about in any form if we win, and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December two thousand nineteen, uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or or Kia. on on the, um, the the next few months. I think that the government will probably do quite well. I I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment. And that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f- family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction,
2: your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan.